Wonder Thing Studios proudly presents the Roundtable Podcast, episode 102. Hello, literary alchemists. I'm Heather Welliver. And I'm Dave Robison. And you've tuned in to the Roundtable Podcast. On the Roundtable Podcast, we invite writers to come onto the show and pitch a story idea to us and our esteemed guest host. And then we jump right in, exploring what works and what doesn't, using the power of collaboration to transform a raw idea into literary gold. Literary gold, indeed, yes. The power of collaboration. Wasn't there a Huey Lewis song like that? No, that was the power of love. Power Uh, of love. But it's the same thing, damn it. Collaboration (laughs) is love, as far as I'm concerned. And friends, I gotta tell you, I am loving having Heather Welliver here in the co-pilot's chair. Uh, uh, Heather has done some astonishing voice work and I have it on good authority that we'll be hearing about some more as well later on in the show which is very exciting Heather uh, ma'am I'm, I'm having a blast having you uh, as my wing person here on the round table thank you so much for making the time it is my absolute pleasure thank you for having me <laughs> absolutely absolutely and and let's just roll into this thing let's keep the let's keep the good times happening uh, by bringing our guest host back dear friends fresh from a 20 minutes with of seven days ago a fabulous conversation uh, an intriguing exploration into the writerly arts uh, please welcome back to the big chair here at the round table Cat Richardson Cat uh, thank you so much for making the time I I got to tell you, I am pumped at the prospect of brainstorming a story with you. Someone with your fanfic background, <laughs> with your your collaborative instincts. This is going to be a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Oh, it's a blast so far. I'm looking forward to it. Hey, we're, we got standards to maintain. We're going to hold those standards high. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, look, before we dive into that, Kat, um, I, I know that the Greywalker series is is a complete entity out unto the world. Uh, so I'm kind of curious, what's coming up in the world of Cat Richardson these days? Well, it kind of depends on whether anybody actually gets around to buying the book that's out shopping. I wrote a, a science fiction police thriller. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there's been a whole lot of, we don't know what to do with this. So I'm hoping that somebody who's looking at it right now will say, I know what to do with this, aside from possibly <laughs> setting it on fire. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got a couple of other projects that are in, in uh, strange halfway positions. I wrote a, a novella that we're going to try and shop and putting something together with an eye towards waving it under the nose of the bookshots people, James Patterson's new project. Oh yeah. But yeah, all of it's very much in the air right now. Oh, God, you know, you'd think that publishers after, you know, what has it been? Five, six, seven years of writers mashing up genres left and right. You'd think they'd figure out by now that, you know, Hey, a sci-fi procedural that has legs. You can sell that shit. Yes. <laughs> but they, they continue to to uh, limit themselves by the genres that they're aware of and, and trying to figure out a marketing niche for your books. Grr. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, I, I don't really want to get into it because it just makes me angry, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go there. Well, you do have uh, uh, the anthology coming out, Shadowed Souls. That's coming out soon, right? Oh, yeah. I believe, I want to say November, but it, it might even be earlier than that. Uh, I'm really excited with that one. That was uh, 
Carrie Lynn Hughes and uh, Jim Butcher yeah. put that together, and I wrote a piece called uh, Peacock in Hell that I really enjoyed. <laughs> I just had a great time writing writing that piece. And I did a lot of anthology work uh, this past year. One of them came out in December, Unbound, out of uh, Grim Oak Press, and I loved that piece. Unfortunately, it didn't get a lot of read. It was a very small run, and so a lot of people missed it. It's called Heart's Desire. And I kind of took the idea of the heartless sorcerer and the damsel in the tower and kind of stuck them together and did some very strange stuff. <laughs> um, there's a Kickstarter coming up. Um, we funded, and now we're in the production phase. It's called Upside Down Inverted Tropes in Storytelling. And we took tropes like, um, you know... The black guy always dies first. And uh, <laughs> Chainmail Bikini. In fact, that was mine. I did Chainmail Bikini. <laughs> and and wrote something. You know, wrote a short story or a poem or an essay or something about the trope or turning the trope upside down. And that was lots of fun. That sounds and fascinating. I got, that sounds like a blast. Oh, yeah. It, a great list of, of writers, too. Another one of those things that just, you know, came together beautifully. Nice. And. Oh, I got to do another co- um, cooperative piece with uh, with Katie Murphy uh, for Joe Nassis, um fielded a anthology concept called Urban Allies. We're going to take urban fantasy protagonists and mash them together and have them meet and have an adventure together. <laughs> There's some great, great stuff in there. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that so sounds like he, a random encounter and make turning that into a story. <laughs> it was kind of. <laughs> it's like random encounter in urban fantasy. Boom. And <laughs> Go. you missed your saving. <laughs> <laughs> See, I knew you were a gaming nerd, too. I knew that. <laughs> hey, I remember Greyhawk manuals when they were individuals bound in that crappy oh, cardboard. See, now that, that's some old cred right there, Kat. I don't know you want it to be trotting that out. <laughs> Dude, I'm old. I'm going to just... <laughs> Own it. Own it. Own it. <laughs> own it hard. Own it strong. Oh, absolutely. That's awesome. Well, Kat, I'll make sure all that gets in the liner notes so that our, our readers can know where to, to seek and click out and get your website up there and your, your Twitter handle so that everybody can stay on top of that because that all sounds intriguing as hell. Yeah. Uh, that's very cool. Heather, I'm going to turn the mic over to you because you've got some intriguing things in the works as well. Oh, yeah. I've got a few things going on. What I'm doing currently, which I am stoked about, is I'm narrating Starla Hutchinson's uh, book, Evolution Angel. Uh, oh, it's a very cool. Right, the it's the superhero series. Right, yeah. Yes. And so um, I am currently narrating that, and that will be out. I don't know when that's going to be out. I'm, that That is my in the works. And then... You are perfect for that, by the way. You're going you're gonna to nail that one to the wall. Very cool. It's such a good story. I really enjoyed reading it. I, yep. I'm glad I read, read it all the way through because I wasn't sure if I was going to, you know, read ahead chapter by chapter so I would be surprised. Uh, <laughs> but it is much better to really, because, well, I didn't know if I, you know, with the character growing, the narrator grows sometimes too. And so, sure. um, but in the, in the long run, I ended up reading the whole thing all the way through from beginning to end, which was good because you put it down. It was that good. That's what it was. Yeah. You, you, and- you, you can wrap this up in, in all kinds of professional. Yes. As a voice actor, I had to read ahead to know what I was doing. You were hooked. You had to read the books. <laughs> but th- yes. I, that, and I cried a lot. 
Aww. And I can't cry while I'm narrating, so <laughs> Starla, I gotta get it all out first. Starla has a knack for hitting you in the feels, I'll tell you. She's good with the feels, definitely. Yeah. So that's awesome. What else you got in the works? Well, stuff with you, actually. We're going to be working on the Under Libram universe. Yes. You are on what I call my roster of fabulosity, and that will be coming out very soon. I, I also have a couple of short story narrations, um, a few, actually, that will be coming up in the next year in the Escape Artist family, as well as uh, Starship Sofa. So I'm really excited to be working with them again. I've been narrating for the Escape Artist family for several years, so I really enjoy it. That's very cool. Very cool. Yeah, and I, as have I. And they're good people, and they tell good stories. Uh, so clearly, and they have excellent taste in narrators. So Yes, they do. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Very cool. Well, Kat, Heather, here's what I'd like to do at this point. Um, I'm going to take a short pause here. We're going to give some podcast airtime to a to a Kickstarter or or to a, another ebook or podcast. There's some fabulosity happening out in the world. When we come back, Cat Heather, I would love to brainstorm a story with you. What do you say? Great. Yeah, I agree. I think it does too, which is kind of the premise of this whole podcast. So we should probably do it, friends. Yeah. Don't you go anywhere. <laughs> we will be right back. For a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster, Monster Kid, Kid Radio. Radio. Hear your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster, Monster Kid, Kid Radio. Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic monsters, modern talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster, monster Kid Radio! Welcome back, dear friends, and now let's get down to the business at hand. The reason why you're here, the reason why we're here, the story brainstorm. And that doesn't happen without a bold and courageous, a creative and courageous guest writer striding boldly to the slightly less comfortable writer's chair here in the Roundtable Virtual Studios. Uh, and dear friends... Our guest writer for this episode grew up in rural Alabama and began writing at the age of 11, inspired by the works of Zilpha Keatley Snyder, Madeline Langle, and C.S. Lewis. In high school, he discovered computers, and as anyone can attest who has heard the siren song of code, it is a compelling and consuming passion. His writing took a backseat until around 2008, when, after escaping to the urban wonderland that is Atlanta, Georgia, uh, a chance encounter with a writing group rekindled his love of telling stories. He's attended the Viable Paradise and Paradise Lost writing workshops and is a member of the esteemed Codex Writers, as well as a group on Second Life called The Quillians and several writing groups in Atlanta, including The Fountain Pen, Right in Front of You, I see what they did there, hmm. and Write Club. 
Of course, he can't talk about Right Club. So, <laughs> dear friends, please welcome to the writer's chair here at the round table, Gary Henderson. Gary, dude, it sounds like you've got a lot of experience with critiques and, and group work with all of your writing groups, but it's never easy putting your baby up for scrutiny. So hats off for your courage and your cojones, sir, for, for striding you. onto the show. Thanks for stepping up, bud. I'm looking forward to it. So are we. So are we. It's kind of why we're here. I got to ask mm-hmm. you, though, dude, a Second Life writing group? Yeah, it's kind of bizarre, but uh, it's a group of people headed by Michael Stackpole. Oh, uh, wow. He's actually the one who, who kind of founded it, and he's he's not in it, but he is kind of associated with it. And uh, they meet every Monday. I haven't been able to meet lately. Because my computer is uh, is not happy with Second Life, but uh, yeah, every Monday night they meet. And what do you do? Do you do you talk story? Do you share stories? We, we talk writing. Uh, occasionally, we have little writing exercises, and we submit like three three hundred and fifty four hundred words, and we read them and kind of talk about them and uh, just uh, story break and come up with ideas and that kind of thing. That's badass, dude. That, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm fascinated. Second Life continues to astonish and delight me. Uh, I've, I've had several people in my life that, that work it from a professional standpoint uh, for groups and meetings and so on, and it, it works really well. So yeah, very it's really cool. neat. Very cool. Well, let's get into this, dude, because I'm, I'm keen to hear your story pitch. Uh, and you know how this works. We give you five to eight minutes. You give us the title and the genre, the audience, the, the framework of the thing. Give us a tagline or a hook line. Introduce us to the themes of the story, the the world and the characters. Give us the, the tent poles of the story itself, and, and we'll be off to the races, bud. We'll be in brainstorming heaven. Uh, I'm going to stop talking, dude. The mic is all yours, man. Okay. This is an urban fantasy novel for adults. Uh, It can be the first in a series that I'm calling the MCU Case Files, where MCU stands for Magical Crimes Unit, a recently formed subunit of the FBI. I don't have a title yet. The hook line, Criminal Minds Meets the Dresden Files. I want it to have that kind of gritty noir feel, but without necessarily descending into grim. Uh, FBI mages must track down a serial killer using magic to destroy her victims before her crime spree throws the country into political turmoil. The theme, I suck at theme, and I figure it'll happen when I write. (laughs) So (laughs) that's that. Fair enough. The world, it is set in contemporary Atlanta, where magic works, obviously. Magic has existed uh, always, but it's been hidden, not at all, and not all that powerful. About 10 years ago, some sort of big event happened that outed magic to the whole world, and I need a little help figuring out what that might have been. Uh, As a result, the world is being forced into dealing with this new facet of itself, and there are some growing pains. All magic comes from what I'm calling the flux, which is separate from but permeates our world. Only those who can use magic can sense it. Although the source is the same, there are several types of mages, each of which access and use the power differently. Mages are fairly rare, and powerful ones are rarer still. The strength of the flux depends on belief. Because of the big event a decade ago and the world's growing population, power levels are at an all-time high and rising. As such, magical crimes are now becoming a real problem. To combat this, the Magical Crimes Unit, which is an elite branch of the FBI, was formed. Our main characters are from the first graduating class of FBI mages. 
Nick and Javier were assigned to Atlanta, which is not a hotbed of magical crime, so they think it's going to be routine, but they're going to be disabused of that pretty much from page one. The characters. Main character is Special Agent Nick Damon. He's an ambient, which is kind of an elemental type of magic user. He's had the ability to use his magic from an early age. He tends to be a bit arrogant about being special or better. He prefers flashy, showy magic, even when less would be more. He lost his family, his entire family, parents and brother, to a magical crime some 12 or so years ago before the big event. When he graduated from high school, the local police ruled it accidental. His goal in the FBI is to stop these crimes as much as possible to prevent others from losing their loved ones. He's not real good at people skills. He tends to wear his heart on his sleeve. His skill with delicate magic is not on par with his skills on the big showy stuff. He's convinced that a warlock was responsible for the deaths of his family, and he pretty much hates warlocks. At the end, he will have to use some sort of delicate personal magic instead of the showy stuff to, to stay hidden, and to have to keep his feelings to himself to avoid tipping off the antagonist that he's coming for her. His hatred of warlocks is going to be reinforced. Secondary main character, Special Agent Javier Ellis. He's a tap, which is a psionic type of magic user. Javier has also been able to use his magic from an early age. Telepathy has been a heavy burden because it's a constant struggle to keep other people's thoughts out of his head. He's gotten very good at building that mental wall, but strong emotions or directed thoughts still make it through. Because most people don't want someone in their heads all the time, relationships tend to go south pretty quickly. The exceptions are his family, a few close friends, and Nick. Javier comes across as always jovial and never confrontational. His magic is intimate and close-up, not flashy. The two agents get along well because Nick genuinely doesn't care that what Javier knows about him. Javier often wishes Nick didn't broadcast his every feeling and has shown him how to erect wards to keep his thoughts private. Nick is working on that. At the end, Javier will have to get in Nick's face about something, jeopardizing their working relationship, and completely drop his walls in order to find the antagonist. The antagonist, Brittany Wheeler. Her brother was murdered several years ago when she was only about five. He was 15. The culprit was never caught. She suspected he was murdered because he was a tap, but her parents either didn't know or wouldn't face the truth. She comes into her own powers as a tap after her mother's funeral when the priest takes her hand to comfort her, and she has a vision of him and four other boys murdering her brother. She gets her revenge on him after pulling the faces of the other four boys from his mind. Now she's hell-bent on eliminating these boys, who are now men, to get justice for her brother. She's a natural at using magic, but not at concealing the crimes. She believes that she can get away with it because she believes God has given her this power. Her mage burst happened at a church, and the priest was the sinner. She's not afraid of death. She believes that she may have to die in order to get her revenge, but that's okay, because these five men took her happiness and destroyed her family, and death will reunite her with her brother. There are some other characters that will come into the story in some form, some cops, a reporter, a confidential informant, and a magical security expert. The story. The crime plot summary is pretty quick. It's just a police procedural. There's a brutal series of murders of a beloved rapper, his bodyguard, his lawyer. The agents can connect those three murders. They also connect it to a priest that was accidentally killed some months earlier. They identify Brittany as the perpetrator. 
there's a secondary plot where a popular anti-magic senator running for president comes to Atlanta for a rally, and Nick and Javier are assigned to help his security detail with magical protections at the venue. The hypocrisy annoys Nick to no end. The senator turns out to be the fifth murderer of Brittany's brother. The final confrontation at the climax is the combination of these two plots. Brittany succeeds in killing the senator, not using magic because the venue has been warded against it. The senator dies, but he's a warlock and he comes back to life on national television. Brittany and the senator are both captured. The crisis points, uh, Nick and Javier's first case, which is unrelated to what Brittany's doing, is a spectacular failure resulting in the death of the person that they're trying to save being caught on film by every TV network. Massive PR fail for the MCU. The tension from that failure drives them throughout the book. This is the point where their this-is-going-to-be-boring attitude gets shattered. Another one is at the point where they are forced to deal with the senator because despite his anti-magic bias, and Nick realizes that their duty to their country overrides his personal dislike uh, Nick is going to have to go against his proclivities and use fine-tuned magic to get Brittany in the end. Javier will need to open up his mind to all thoughts in order to track her down, and he may have to use something showy that might end up hurting him. Uh, I need some help figuring out more of these. This is kind of why I'm here. I have the plot, but I need the parts that make it more interesting. Some sources of uh, tension in the book are the reaction of the other agents uh, at the FBI to Nick and Javier and their glorious failure. Um, <laughs> some of the new agents who are in Atlanta were also trained with them, and they may have some stories about Nick and Javier. Uh, dealing with the police and other magical crimes that are going on in, in Atlanta that may seem to be connected with the rapper's murder, but aren't in the end. Very cool. I think, dude, wow. yeah, exactly. We th you. you throw down some serious story food there, dude. Outstanding. Wow. There's there's story mojo to be done. Uh, but before we do, uh, we really kind of need to cover our ass. And and Heather, it's going to fall to you, ma'am. Would you be so kind as to deliver the patented roundtable podcast disclaimer? Absolutely. Gary, you're about to experience a veritable deluge of ideas, insights, and inspirations. It's important you realize that Everything said from this point forward by myself, Dave, or Kat might be complete bullshit. This is your story, and you decide what to use and what to cast aside. Okay? Bring on the bullshit. Bring on All the right. bullshit. Well, I can guarantee you there's a there's a mountain ever coming in. Maybe there'll be some gold tucked in there somewhere. <laughs> All right, let's get into this. We always start with a quick once around the table, and this is just a brief opportunity for Kat, Heather, and myself to give first impressions of Gary's pitch and also to ask any questions of clarification uh, uh, that need to be addressed in order to properly brainstorm this bad boy. And we always start with our guest host, so Kat Richardson, start us off, ma'am. What were your first <laughs> impressions of Gary's pitch, and did you have any questions of things that didn't make sense that you need clarified? No, I don't have any questions on for clarification, and I'm looking at this because uh, I was kind of typing as you were talking so I can keep uh, track of your ideas just so that I don't end up saying something totally off the wall and, and not there at all. <laughs> it wouldn't be the um, first time, Kat, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
well, it's kind of high concept. I mean, Criminal Minds meets the Dresden Files, and that tells me a lot right there. Um, the one thing that kind of stood out to me right up front is if these guys are the first graduating class, the chances are good that the manual of how they're going to do this or how they're supposed to do this is going to break constantly. Right. Because when you're when yes. you're the front of a wave, they're constantly going to be running across, well, this is how you should be doing it, and this is how we think it's going to work, and it doesn't work that way. Yeah. So you've yes. got a great opportunity to just throw all kinds of roadblocks and turnarounds at them, which is exciting as hell. And actually, you know, it just occurred to me, and we generally don't start brainstorming this early, but damn it, Kat, you, you sparked an idea. It'd be kind of badass if the senator they have to protect was the one who wrote that manual. <laughs> or right? was in some wise, yeah, or was in some wise instrumental exactly. in creating this agency. Which, which create, yeah, exactly, exactly. Ah. And, and that, gives the, uh, that gives Nick and Javier an even more reason to hate this guy because they're constantly being hamstrung by the manual. That's inspired. I love that. Well, then there's that extra layer of, you know, um, I'm not 100% sure here whether we look up upon warlocks as, as bad guys or if they're just another kind of, of magic user. That wasn't quite clear to me in your crisis here. But if, in fact, warlocks are kind of the bad guys here, you know, they're the the bad magic, then the idea that the guys that you're hunting have been writing your manual is really kind of warped, twisted, and evil. <laughs> yeah. I like that. And that would raise a huge question of, holy crap, the MCU is built, was built by a warlock, built by a bad guy, uh, which yeah. could cripple the whole organization uh, before it even got off the ground. That's, that's huge stakes raising right there. So, uh, Gary, tell us, are, are warlocks considered bad guys? You can think of warlocks as, um, I started with the concept of a necromancer and kind of changed it a little bit. They basically get all their power from the death of a human being. So, yeah, you could say they're bad guys. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. I would say so. Very cool. <laughs> That's bad stuff. That's you can't be running around <laughs> killing people all the time. Oh. Like hell, I can't. <laughs> Watch <laughs> me. Watch me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a cool. warlock. We're already we're and a senator. Watch this. <laughs> Behold the power. <laughs> That's awesome. Great. Anything else, Kat? Any other ideas or observations? Just real quick off uh, the top. Well, the other thing I gotta I gotta say, just because it's a big issue in uh, in the genre, is um, you've only got one primary female here, and she's the bad guy. Yeah, I was yeah. gonna point that out too. And I know you've got a, uh, you must have a whole cast of characters in your head. Yes, um, at least one of the two cops is female. Okay. You might want to put somebody who's got some power over Nick and Javi in there who's female. Because among other things, the buddy dynamic between two guys is very different mm -hmm. than the buddy dynamic between two women. Or True. between people of different genders, regardless of what their sexual orientation is. And you can really kind of pull on that social relationship by putting someone who's of a different gender or a different sexual orientation in a position of power. You can also use that as a way of talking about how these young people are integrating into this brand new system because 
these these people in power over them haven't had that power for very long, and everybody's going to be testing boundaries constantly. I mean, the way you describe Nick, he's obviously someone who's going to be needling people, pushing the boundaries, constantly asking for someone to to show him how far he can go, mm-hmm. and and any authority figure is probably going to be somebody he's going to be pushing on constantly. Yeah. And if that authority figure is also female, that dynamic's going to be very. Uh, fraught and and very dramatic. Yeah, I like that. I like, I like that a lot. Too. Very cool. Heather, what about you? What are your first impressions and, and what uh, questions do you have for Gary? Well, um, I, I feel like I'm already nitpicking, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I am pagan. And okay. so I, I'm kind of sensitive to terminology. And so the first thing I think of when I hear the word warlock as a, uh, a Wiccan is, oh God, they're using that word again. <laughs> because most of the time when somebody uses the word warlock, what they mean is a male witch. Uh-huh. What, it, what it sounds like is that this is a completely different type of entity. I, I would be yes. curious to know more about the warlocks and how you would address that early so you don't have people going... Warlocks aren't male witches. And, and yeah. you, re- you raise a good point, Heather. And, and we've talked about this in the roundtable in the past when people have like elves or orcs uh, right. uh, in their stories that, that the reader does come to the story with their own baggage and their own preconceptions. Right. And, and the terms that we apply to these fantastical elements, you know, uh, vampires, you know, Kat, you've, you've, as soon as you throw out a <laughs> vampire out there, everybody's coming at you with, but they don't glitter or damn it, they glitter or whatever, you know, there, yeah. there's there's that issue to deal with so that's that's something to consider Gary as far as uh, the terminology since this is such a new uh, uh, world and a fairly new revelation uh, uh, I could see you know the Gen X and the Gen Z's coming up with a hip term for all of these people and having social media pick up mm-hmm. on it and and come up with something you know totally trendy and cool that by by association these guys whether they refer to them in the manual by this or not call them like like you say like you got taps and you got your ambience uh, uh warlock does kind of stand out as as an old mm-hmm. school uh, uh dissonance to that other stuff yeah some other uh terms that i had in mind for that would be a vac or a drain so those those might work better. A vac is kind of cool. I like that. Yeah, interesting. I like that. Cool. What else, Heather? Anything else oh. jumping out at you, uh, or any other questions that you wanted to raise? Not popping up right at the top of my head because I've been taking notes. But, uh... <laughs> As we all have, I've got a page yes, full. Yes. Okay. All right. Let me let me ask a couple of mine then. Um, first of all, uh, uh, first impressions, Gary. This is badass. I have always delighted in stories where magic comes out in contemporary times. It isn't something that we've had to deal with all along, so you don't have that, but but what about particle physics, and did we have the nuclear bomb <laughs> back in the 50s, blah, blah, blah. But you've got, so you've got all the technology and all of the contemporary cultural structures, and, and so if this happened 10 years ago, this happened in 2006, for crying out loud. You know, right. Grey Grey Walker just hit the shelves, <laughs> so so you know it's 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 near enough in people's minds that it's still very new and fresh, and that I think is in a very exciting time to tell a story. 
um, especially something as profound as the, the revelation of magic. So that's very cool. Um, nice. I do like the dynamic that you've got going with Nick and Javier, although I'm I'm going to come down and, and just offer the possibility that Nick could very easily be Nicolette. Uh, uh, and and you know do a gender bend on on Nick, make her a female character, uh, and and keep Javier as he is, and that as as Cat pointed out, that could create a very interesting dynamic between them. Uh, uh, so, well, but- that's another interesting point that 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 just brought up. You're talking about how Nick is not good at at this small delicate magic. If Nick suddenly becomes female, we have a tendency to think of women as being small and delicate, mm-hmm. and if he's you know. If if he becoming she is big and over the top, that that's kind of an interesting inversion too. Yeah, it's it's and it's almost and and we've always and a lot of people have been talking about how we don't want men in women's skins as protagonists. Uh, so you would need to justify that. And I could see you know especially in this very new age with this very new uh, criminal unit, uh, a female detective wanting very very definitively to establish her cred. Uh, uh, and that could be her issue is that, you know, she can't uh, uh, just be a good cop. She feels like she has to prove herself and is doing so in in a way that isn't serving her or her team. And that could be the revelation, the character revelation that she discovers on down the road. Just a thought, okay. just a possibility. I'll definitely uh, keep it in mind. Um, mages are rare. Uh, how rare uh, are we talking one in a thousand, one in a million? How many mages ballpark? I know you haven't figured this out, but just uh, uh, as I walk down the street, are there 20 mages or potential mages around me at any given time in downtown Atlanta? Um, no. There, the way I was looking at it was a lot of people might have like the genetics, but there's also uh, an epigenetic uh, component to it. And there's also the you have to come into your powers with what I'm calling a mage burst, which is usually some traumatic event that happens that causes you to sort of push past whatever barrier it is. And then you can access the flux from that point. Okay. So there, there may be a lot of people who have the potential, but there's not a lot of people who've made that transition to actually being able to use it. I, it's a really weird connection with what you're saying. And it ties back to medical stuff. Like when you're dealing with stress, then it can trigger some kind of health event. Like that's actually a thing that I've had to experience. So it makes sense that something like that would happen. And I'm also thinking of the whole coming of age comparison and initiation. So that, that might be something cool that you could bring in some kind of initiation from people well that might be hard to do since this is the first year of the magical crimes but it has been around for 10 years and you just got me thinking it occurs to me that there are going to be people trying to figure out how to make this happen right yeah there's probably underground groups who that have formed you know over these 10 years of you know trying to make it happen trying to stop it from happening having little clandestine sort of you know 
magic users anonymous groups. You know, I don't want to be like this. <laughs> or or criminal organizations or the government, you know, trying to find a way to stimulate and trigger this uh, so that they can exploit it and use it. And and people just wanting to to, to do it. Like there was that, that very cool series, the 4400. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and they found a way to actually trigger the, the effect that would give you these powers, but it had a 50-50 shot of killing you too. Mm-hmm. And people Ooh. were lining up to roll oh those God. dice because we're so yeah. hungry for power. And that's something that urban fantasy and magic in general has always represented to me anyway is that that desire for specialness, for uniqueness, mm-hmm. but also for control and influence over our environment because we feel so powerless these days. So I could totally see people going off the walls trying to figure this out. Some of them very scientifically and genetically. Other people just just rituals, something. It worked for this guy. Let's try it this way. And, and literally repeating people's lives and so on. Anyway. You know, so, the other thing that comes to mind is um, the, the possibility of tying this in with um, puberty or with a, a certain age. And these days in the in the great age of genetics, we're doing so much stuff with gene therapy. If somebody out there is thinking, hey, if we just give you these chemicals that normally kind of burst forth in your mind at this age, maybe they will force this change to happen. Now, this might be another story entirely or something you don't want to touch. But I'm No, thinking- actually, you're, you're touching on stuff that I've actually incorporated so yes oh cool (laughs) yeah we're we're on track we're totally on track you're definitely right with the with the track here cool well and a horrible idea you know there are people out there who are going to you know try to force people into this situation you know regardless of what their their age or desire is here i'm going to give you this shot and then maybe you're going to be you know an X-Man are <laughs> effectively. Right. So that, that is actually happening in the Marvel universe right now. Um, surprised. <laughs> the, the whole gene thing. Right. Um, see, I'm a big TV geek, so I can tell you what they're doing in television right now. Um, the Marvel universe is doing in humans. And in a couple years, I'll actually have a movie coming out. Right. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is doing that, yeah. Yeah, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is introducing the Inhumans now, and then there's going to be a, a whole movie. Right. Um, and the Inhumans, well, I don't know if it's exactly a gene, but they're, they've got a little something extra that gets activated. Right, it's, it's, um, an, alien, it's, become, it's an alien marker that, that you know, right. fish, apparently fish oil, because they released all of these Terrigen crystals into the ocean and fish got it, and yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Eat more fish. Eat more fish. You become a superhero. <laughs> Woo! And then um, the other source thing that I was thinking about was the television show The Magicians. Mm, yeah. And oh, based on uh, um, based on the novel. Yeah, about Lev Grossman's novel. Yeah. Lev Grossman. Yes. Yes. So the source of power for magic there is pain. Right. There is there is that that catalyzing event. Uh, yes. uh, that they talk about. So, so you're resonating, Gary, with a lot of different stuff here, and that's a good thing, I think. Okay, good. Uh, I did have a couple other questions. Um, uh, Nick lost his family to a magical crime. Uh, do we know what that is? Do you know what that is and what relevance that has at all? It has relevance because at some point he's going to discover that, and you know, this is like maybe book three or something, but he's going to discover that his brother is actually still alive he's a he was a war uh, not a what well a warlock is what i've been calling them do you know why um, his family was killed 
That's what I don't know. I've been trying to come up with some idea okay. where they were all killed at once so that he could absorb all of their power and basically do a body transfer into the person who perpetrated the crime. Mm, okay. Wait, wait, okay. the brother did it? The, well, the brother did something. This is for, like I said, for a later story. Oh, twisty. <laughs> yes. Very the twisty. The brother is still alive. And how many books are you going to do? I have three mapped out fairly well. So are okay. you planning it for it to be a trilogy and end, or are you just going to see how it goes that far? I have ideas for four and five as well. So, but it, you know, it all depends on whether I can sell it. So. Okay. That's fantastic. Yeah, I have more ideas on tap. Yeah. <laughs> always a good more. thing. Always a good thing. <laughs> I also, um, why was Brittany's brother killed by the priest and the boys? Uh, they were all teenagers and he was doing magical stuff and they were going to beat him up and they got a little too enthusiastic mm. and he died uh, later. All right. Now, now you're talking now, now we're, now we're getting into some very interesting topicality because I'm, I'm from Wyoming uh, uh, and the shepherd case is still very, very fresh in my mind. Uh, and I could see the magic affliction being perceived by a large part of the population as a disease as mm-hmm. a, a corruption, as evil, absolutely. I could definitely see that assumption being made and that stigma being applied, which would give the MCU then even that much more of a challenge because, you know, maybe a majority of the population feels that they're evil. Yeah, that's. I had actually planned on making that one of the conflicts in the story is maybe some of the people that they go to to question uh, just really don't want to be questioned, especially by a telepath. Okay, and they have and they have nothing useful to say. There's also um, going to be some internal conflict for Brittany, in that, um, if, especially if the society at large or the society that she was raised in looks upon magic as an evil thing. If she believes her powers come from God, how does she rationalize that in the face of other people, you know, being being seen as evil? Yeah, that's um, a good so, question. <laughs> so she's gonna she's gonna have some push and pull there that you're gonna have to deal with, but that could mm-hmm. also um, link her in with with Nick and with Javier and their experience of magic and coming into it suddenly. They have a commonality, but they also have an opposition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I I like that. I like that a lot. And that and that like you say that that creates a, a large dynamic that everybody is constantly fighting against. And and. It really comes down to the, the the classic character story of who are you, uh, uh, and how much do you uh, uh, bow to the popular opinion of what people say you are, as opposed to what you really are. And that's you know, if we make Nick a female character, she's confronted with the same thing. With Javier being a, a telepath, uh, he's confronted, he's bludgeoned with that every single day. My God, if if that's the case, walking down the street, uh, uh, if if as soon as he flashes a badge, or if anybody knows who he is uh uh, the waves of hatred that he has to deal with uh and and making that a touch point for his character a sore point for his character would be a strong step something i don't know i javier is is he what what ethnicity is he gary he's um basically basically puerto rican okay so you could have a, a a racial uh uh 
issue being raised in his past as well, where he's been confronted by racial hatred and prejudice uh, uh, and transition. And now that he's manifested his magic and, and he's confronted with it again, uh, uh, that's a huge issue that needs to be that needs to be wrestled with in, in his heart as well. Uh, mm-hmm. God, there's so many. See, and this is the thing. Uh, there are so many levels that that could be explored, and I think that the danger at this point, Gary, is trying to do all of them. Uh, that that <laughs> yeah. would that would that would it's probably a, be a big mistake. It's a yeah. good thing that you you were planning on doing multiple books because you've got so many um, possibilities here, and right. a lot of little facets with character. One thing I, I do think is it almost feels to me like Javier is not as well developed as, as Nick, at least in your mm-hmm. description. If it, it feels like you are more comfortable with Nick and have a bigger backstory for him. Yeah, he was the uh, first character that I came up with, and Javier came second. And I just probably haven't spent enough time. Yeah, Javier with still him. feels a little little bit thin, like he's a good guy, and that you haven't built any complexity behind him mm-hmm. and the and Brittany um for some reason i'm now scratching my head saying well if all of this happened 10 years ago and her brother was murdered and now some of those murderers are old enough to be senators successful commercial rappers and things like this how old is Brittany? well uh, let me let me jump in and confirm Gary, the the magic was awakened ten years ago. The mm-hmm. murder of the brother happened just recently, right? No, the murder actually happened uh, back quite oh, a few years as well. Okay, I'm sorry. That's I see your I see your situation then, Cat. That's a valid yeah, question. If this, was, if this was something that happened when they were teenagers or young men, the murderers and uh, and the victim, mm-hmm. then how old was Brittany, and how old is she now? Because her age related to both her dead brother and to the investigators who were coming after her. I mean, if she's older than they are, that's going to cause them a little bit of of thought. Um, well, you know, she's older than, than we are. She's been more in touch with this. Maybe we need to approach her a little more carefully. Or simply, you know, if one of them is a little bit more traditional than the other, well, you know, you don't just go up to women like that, you know, older women, you treat them with respect. And the other one's like, no, to hell with that. Sure. Especially Javier, you know, was, was probably taught to respect women, uh, especially older women. Gary, can you give us some context? How old is Brittany and how old was she when the event happened? Okay. It, she was probably about five when her brother was murdered. He was about 15. And this mm-hmm. was long enough ago that, like you said, there could be one of the boys could be a Senator. So probably about, uh, what about fifteen years? So she, so. so he so was, she would she would well she would be in, in her mid twenties. I the I've had to rearrange the time so much. I'm kind of getting a little confused, but I'm looking at her being in her like mid twenties. Now she she just recently came into her power. This was when she met the priest, mm-hmm. and she was mourning over her mother's recent death, and she shook his hand or he took her hands, and she's struck with a vision of of him and four other kids basically beating her brother. And so that's her, that's her mage burst. That's her, her traumatic event that, that happens. Okay. Okay. So yeah, you have a, you have a timing and structure problem. I I hate to use the word problem, but there is a timing and structure thing that needs to be fixed there. Mm -hmm. um, Just so that you can have these people be at the right age to have the power and the function that they have in the world. 
um, you might have to tier the ages on some of these people, like maybe a couple of them were younger and maybe the, uh, maybe the priest was a little bit older and, or, you know, the young man who becomes a Senator, maybe they were a little bit older and they were kind of the gang leaders here. Things got out of, out of hand um, because that builds more dynamic and more mm-hmm. complexity for your characters to have to unravel. Okay. Well, and also, I, I thought that Brittany's brother was killed because he was a mage, because he was doing magic. He was doing magic, but he, it was before the big event, so he was supposed to be uh, keeping it a secret, and he was doing it in the in the open. Well, then... So let, magic has always been in the world, but it wasn't until the big event that people became aware of it? That, people, that, peop, that the whole world became aware that it was something that was real. Okay. Uh, did the presence of magic expand, or was it just a matter of now people became aware of it? The presence of magic actually did expand because I was looking that the flux actually is responds to belief. So the more people that believe magic is real, the more power there is to use. So the fact that something happened very, very publicly to say, you know, this is ah. real magic, suddenly there's a lot more power out there. So, so that event became a belief builder. And a lot yes. of people who were on the on the the tipping edge of being magical or non-magical were suddenly empowered by the collective belief of society reinforced by this event. Right. Oh, nifty. (laughs) (laughs) Now this is how my brain works. Okay. And I'm just going to put this out there um, because you don't know what that event was. Do you Gary? I originally had planned for it to be many years before and it was going to be RFK was not assassinated. He was saved by someone with magical powers, but that was 50 years ago and that's not going to work. So okay. uh, it needed to be something a little closer to, to now. What if, what if it was a concert, a rock concert? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and because the emotions of a really potent rock concert, I mean, that, that stuff is just floating high. And, and what if during the concert, uh, uh, magic erupted and and just literally you know maybe just blew out the stadium. Uh, uh, well, I'm just thinking, what if it was uh, one of those benefit concerts where you've got a lot of people who normally wouldn't play together, a lot of big names, there and you go. Yeah. they actually create a critical mass of of this magical energy that none of them really, well, maybe a few of them do, but most of them don't know they have. Right. Right, and of course it's televised, of so course. all of this magic is being hurled across the, uh, uh, vid- YouTube videos across the internet, um, and 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 bam. So there's, and the reason I'm doing the reason I said that was, and this is how my brain works. I backtracked because I wanted. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to suggest that that Brittany's brother dies uh, more recently, and and okay. the reason that he's killed. Uh, is because he was at that concert, and okay. there's a subcult of of beings of people out in the world who believe that you know maybe if you kill all the people who were there, the magic will die, or or <laughs> that those first people are the tainted, they are the harbingers of magic, and we must kill them. Uh, and with the because because Brittany's awakening yes. isn't isn't uh, traumatic. Her magic manifests, and that's traumatic. Mm-hmm. The vision is, but she's not experiencing physical or emotional trauma when the priest touches her. 
Well, she's at her mother's funeral, so I, maybe okay. that's not enough. But that's yeah, and maybe that's what I'm thinking. I'm, I'm thinking that if if we're at her brother's funeral, and okay. the priest is railing against magic and the magic users and the filthy things, and maybe even going so far as implying that her brother is burning in hell because of his taint of uh, use of the wickedness. And then he like touches her and now you have a, Oh my God, he's a Westboro Baptist church. of (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Now, now you've got an emotional peak that is reached. The preacher touches her and then she sees that would send me around the bend. And I would actually be kind of sympathetic for Brittany at that point as a a villain, which is what you always want. You always want people to, to feel uh, and get behind what the, the, the Brittany is doing. In fact, and again, Gary, I'm imposing a lot on your arc, and I don't know if it even fits at all. But Brittany hunting down these people who killed her brother could actually open up a, a, a more heroic quest of I'm going to kill all of these people who are killing you know, the tainted or the whatever. It ties into that whole uh, 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 racial bias or sexual bias or whatever, the, the, the natural instinct of, of, it seems, of humans to, to fear the other. Uh, uh, and and also this could then tie into what Nick and Javier are exploring and what the senator is coming out against. Uh, uh, I mean, it also gives Brittany a more complex arc where she can have a, a turnaround. Otherwise, her arc is um, is very short. If she says, oh, I'm going to kill these people who killed my brother, I'm going to seek simple revenge. And then along the way, she starts looking at a more complex uh, revenge against... Yeah. A social subset that is, in her view, destroying people like her brother, and that's uh, a greater evil than simply the destruction of one man. So she becomes effectively a vigilante for what she considers a social good, as opposed to being against a social evil, just to get rid of these people who would otherwise hurt people. It makes her more complex, and it enables her to finish an initial arc and then drive forward for another arc with more energy into the plot, which gives Nick and Javier reason to keep their energy high. Yes. Okay. And what a great moment, you know, in, in act three, scene one, when maybe, she, maybe she kills the last dude. Well, no, it's the Senator. So it's not the last dude, but she realizes that there's a larger evil yeah. in play here. And it's like, I had now she has a mission. Now it's not just vengeance is a mission. That's badass. Well, and then it becomes even more complicated for Nick and Javier, who, to a certain degree, have to feel some some sympathy for that position. Exactly. Right. Right. And yet she's a she's a serial killer. She's a bad guy. And that could really bring <laughs> conflict between Nick and Javier. You know, Nick might say, yeah, good. I'm, I'm not really interested in finding this girl. Uh, uh, and Javier can take the higher ground or vice versa. There could be some some mm-hmm. moral conflict in there. Heather, what are you thinking about this? Is this is this uh, uh, chiming for you? I just knew you were going to pick on me. I've been sitting here listening too long. <laughs> you guys are so brilliant. I love listening. <laughs> that happens a lot here on the round table. Not the brilliance, but the fact that we're entertaining to listen to. <laughs> so, brilliance and bullshit. They both start with the same letter. <laughs> Coincidence? I don't think so. <laughs> so, and Gary, what about you? Is this, uh, we're, we're kind of uh, uh, railroading your story a little bit. What are you thinking about this? I, it's I'm typing so fast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God this is recorded, right? Yeah, I, I'm 
I'm happy. Uh, if you could, if you could have felt the chills I was feeling when you were talking about the benefit concert, that really resonates. I kind of <laughs> like that. This, this is the but power. I don't think we've seen enough. Uh, I don't think we've seen enough fantasy that actually uh, hooks in to some of the pop culture stuff. A lot of times, it kind of walks around it. Yeah. And urban, and you would think urban fantasy would be a lot more hooked into things like music and television, and a lot of time it isn't. Yeah. And I think yeah. that would be fantastic fantastic especially as a selling point yeah Bring that in the social media aspect of things too exactly yeah. exactly and and you know actually have uh and of course you can't say facebook and twitter but you could <laughs> right. you can reference and allude to them and and wire that in in fact you know uh, uh the the flux the, the whole notion of of power and energy uh, 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 and electricity and signal and so on. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of similarity there, and I can I can see as as you're saying, Heather, the the social media aspects uh, uh, being. Almost- oh, okay. So we're talking about social media, and we're talking about the flux. Right. So what if social media is the catalyst for the flux, or a conduit for the flux? Right. I mean, it's a, a social consciousness. Everybody can have access to it. And once you've got social media blasting something out there, then people are more conscious of things. That's intriguing. Oh, that that channel of uh, of public belief right. and the way things get spread virally. Oh, my right. God. The flux is kind of its own special virus, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Because we've seen how memes and, and social media galvanize people's raw emotions, often without thought. Uh, and, and that could be like food for the flux or maybe a certain kind of flux. I don't know. Now, now we may be getting off in the weeds a bit. Yeah. Um, but, but I don't know. Sometimes I, those weeds are cool. They are. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I'm, I'm looking at, I'm looking at the clock. I'm watching it tick down here. So I'm, I'm asking, I'm going to ask Gary, Gary, is there anything else that you wanted us to dig into or anything that this conversation has, has prompted a question that's been prompted that we can address in like the next few minutes? Um, one question I did have was if you think it would be a good idea to have Brittany's point of view actually in the book, because it's it's one of those things where in most urban fantasy, I don't think they do have the viewpoint of the of the bad guy, but I don't know. Having the antagonist POV is a really common uh, structural device in suspense and thriller because it creates a sense of... Um, dramatic irony it can also create a ticking clock which is a great way for driving um, your tension up and uh, forcing your pace to move faster so especially with the complexity of what you're talking about I think it would be great to have her her thoughts and her motivations clear to us while they remain dark to the protagonist yeah Uh, that's going to ratchet up your tension I agree I think it's really cool to include that um, the only danger is that you might make your antagonist too relatable. I'm really enjoying in Jessica Jones. I don't know. I don't want to give away too many spoilers here, but David Tennant plays the bad guy. Right. And you love it. He's so good at being the bad guy. So I think you can definitely give the point of view of the antagonist uh, and make it intriguing, but you have to be careful that we don't love them more than you. Yeah, well, if you're going to do it, I would suggest you do it in a limited way, either um, 
uh, third person that isn't super, super close, or and certainly not first person. Um, you might want to do it in an, an objective POV so that we see her more than we hear her. Okay. Um, also, the unreliable narrator, which isn't as easy as it sounds, is a great place to put your villain. <laughs> God, that would be a challenge. That it's would hard. be a challenge, yeah. I, I'm telling you, it's not easy. But if you, if you want to try and take that particular piece of work on, it can be really effective. But it, as I said, not easy. Yeah. Okay. Another uh, thing that I was doing with this that a lot of urban fantasy is first person and I was working on third person. Oh, yay. Good. I first person doesn't feel right with a telepath. I just, <laughs> that would well, be and a you've challenge. Got a, you've got an ensemble there. Right. Where I think, yeah, I think third person is probably going to work better for you. Okay. One good. thing that you could do for uh, uh, an objective observer or, or an unreliable narrator observer of Brittany, um, a thought occurred to me that there could be a reporter Witness, maybe maybe a reporter witnessed Brittany's awakening, and or a friend, or a friend, or something. I like the reporter because it ties in. You know, if you want to explore that whole social media right. thing, what if Brittany's the reporter? Oh snap! Holy shit! Now- then <laughs> then her reports can be oh. her unviable narrator view instead yes. of getting directly into her head we get what she writes and if you've, if you've seen the actual graphic novel for Watchmen and yes. it's full of these little graphical intrusions of mm-hmm. pieces of magazines newspaper clippings etc uh, you wouldn't be doing it quite that graphically but that might be the channel for your antagonist viewpoint oh, man drop, oh, yes. drop mic cat holy crap Yes. <laughs> and I had already planned for there to be a reporter character. You if did, it's Brittany, yeah. then <laughs> just make it Brittany. Roll it in there. Yeah. yeah. And and I that's some definitely, you know, you've got a large subcast going. Combine those as much as possible. Yeah. Because uh, you don't want to leave this this cast of thousands that everybody has to keep track of. Uh, right, like okay. no more than seven, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> that that yeah. my my head's good for five actually, but yeah, no more than seven. I'm I'm old. I'm old that way. Uh, all right, I'm gonna before the internet explodes with the awesomeness. I'm I'm gonna have to uh, call a halt on this and and weave Aww. us. I know, right? Uh, towards the the final phase of the roundtable, which is one last trip around the table. Uh, uh, this is this is final thoughts for Gary. Uh, ideas that that you couldn't you came up with, but didn't have a chance to talk about just some last advice to send him off shove literary gold into his pocket so he can go off and write this bad boy cat we'll start with you ma'am final thoughts for gary don't be afraid of getting it wrong the first time put it down fix it later you learn more from failure than from initial success just get it down there hell yeah hell yeah another drop mic heather what about (laughs) you final thoughts for gary you're right. <laughs> Good advice. Uh, I Good wish ad- I could come up with something better, but I really think that you uh, have a, re- a lot of good elements and just pare down some of the extra stuff and focus on all those nice, solid nuggets of gold you've got there. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and and for me, Gary, I will I will say we, we didn't really talk about the senator all that much in the story. Uh, sure. uh, and uh, if if there's going to be a shadowy 
figure lurking in the background. Uh, uh, it's definitely the senator. Um, and 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 th- again, this is just me, but I would love to have uh, uh, whatever the senator's doing have something to do with Nick's family's death. Uh, maybe not directly. Maybe you know he didn't kill it, but whatever he was doing is connected or related in some way. Uh, and I, I I don't know if that's contrived or not, but that's just I, I like I like synchronicity in my stories in that regard. But by the same token, uh, the senator needs to be in the forefront. If if he is the big reveal at the end as the shadowy holy crap, he's a warlock. Uh, uh, you know, it makes sense that he would be visiting the MCU in Atlanta often. Uh, uh, keep him in the reader's mind and and in such a way that while he may be a prick, uh, he's certainly not the architect of evil that he reveals himself to be. Uh, uh, so that when that reveal happens, it's not, God, I haven't, this guy's had no screen time and suddenly he's the big bad guy? No, give him lots yeah. of screen time, but don't give away the, 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 the final punch as far as that goes. So, awesome. Right. Well, Gary, here's the deal, man. You go out and write this bad boy, and holy crap, do. Would you please? Uh, oh, definitely. <laughs> make this Yay. thing happen. Get it out there, whether it's a PDF on your website or or a, a deal with, with rock uh, and, and, and <laughs> agents and all that stuff. However it happens, get it out in the world uh, so it's infecting other people's minds. And when you do, you let us know. We'll bring you back, and we will knight you. We will make you a Knights of the Round Table podcast. You down with that, sir? I am so down with that. <laughs> awesome. Dude, Yay! Gary, well done, sir. You you set a gorgeous brainstorming feast for us. Uh, uh, there's some great stuff. Obviously, we don't have these kind of conversations without uh, having good story food to feed on, and you definitely did that. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. Absolutely. Cat. Holy crap, uh, uh, a long time ago I decided that I was not going to do this alone. Uh, I brought on co-hosts, and then I said, no, I need somebody with cred. Uh, so we <laughs> always go out to people who have proven themselves in the literary world, and you today have totally justified that decision again. Uh, your wow. contributions were awesome. Your brainstorming foo is very strong. This has been a blast. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. This this is the most fun part about uh, creating a story is knocking it around with really cool people. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And and Heather Welliver, my my wing person and co-host, uh, it has been a delight, ma'am, to 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 share the pod podosphere with you for a while. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This has been so much fun. <laughs> it is. It's a great time. It's awesome. And and. Uh, as long as we're giving out the the gratitude, friends tuning in, thank you. Whether you tuned in, you know, on Tuesday when this thing dropped, or a month or a year from now, digging through our archives, you hitting that play button fulfills our mandate. Uh, you complete the circuit. That's why we put this stuff out there in the world for you to catch in fuego with this awesomeness. If you're digging it, if you're feeling the love, uh, then pay it forward. Go ahead and blog about us. Spread the word. Not enough people know about the round table, quite frankly. I think that's a, I think that's a simple fact. Uh, and you can do something about that. Spread the word. Share the goodness. Let people know the round table's out there. And holy crap. 
you know, I actually turned down the AC before we recorded because I know the room actually increases in temperature as I record these things, and I'm still freaking sweating. <laughs> I'm spent. I'm exhausted. But, you know, and here's the thing. In 14 days, in two weeks, we're going to do it all over again. We're going to come back. We're going to bring another fabulous guest host pouring wisdom in our ears. We're going to bring another courageous guest writer setting a, a brainstorming feast for us. It's it's going to be this all over again. And it seems impossible, but it's true. Uh, and and But the downside is it's 14 days. That's a long damn time to wait for more Roundtable awesomeness. Heather... Help our help our listeners out. What can they do to make these next 14 interminable days just whiz by? Go right. Go right. Right on, sister. Yes, that is the watchword of the roundtable. Put your stories on paper. Put them out in the world. Contribute to the conversation, the fictional explorations that we're going through. That's your mandate. Good advice. And I will tell you, as I always do, friends, you find what you're looking for. So look for that top shelf blue label goodness. Look for the lost Christmas present at the back of the Christmas tree. If you look for those treasures in your world, I promise you, you will find them. We will see you in just 14 days. Until then, you guys stay cool, stay frothy, and stay awesome. And we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode of the Roundtable Podcast is copyright 2015 by Wonder Thing Studios and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means please don't sell it, but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. Theme music for the Roundtable podcast was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David Labroyer, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation, or just learn more about us, visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at writerspodcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.